and we are live. Parker Heath. How you doing? <laughs> doing good. We're live. Yes, we are. Glad to hear you're doing good. Glad to hear. How's your day? What's that? How was your day? It was good. Um got up this morning, got some random work stuff done, and then I ran some errands. Didn't ride my bike today, unfortunately, but tomorrow I'm going to probably ride my bike, so that'll be good. And then have some family plans this evening, so be chill. Nice. How uh, how often do you get to ride? Um, I feel like in the last, like, eight months to a year, my life's been a little bit different. Um, I've been definitely trying to, like, sneak away, like, towards the end of the day, like, as much as I can like on a regular basis, probably like at least like realistically probably like three to four days a week. Um, cause then there's just some days where like things just come up and it's just too hard. But now with the time change, like it doesn't get dark till eight o'clock. So honestly, like I've been able to like, it's been easier to get out and ride and still like get stuff done during the mornings and afternoons. Yeah. I mean, it's eight 30 here right now and it's, you could still be riding outside. It's still super bright. It's awesome. Yeah. I know. It was getting dark at like 4.35 and I'd be like in such a huge rush to get stuff done and then like try to get out and ride. But now it's like you don't even need to leave until like 6 o'clock and you still got a few hours. So Yeah. Man, that's crazy to think about because you have good weather all year. It's For me, it just doesn't matter because I go to Rays and whatever time it is doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we don't have a lot of like like places to go at night. I, don't, I mean, we have a few now, but – I just feel like riding at night like still isn't is it really that popular? So or we don't have like any indoor parks really at all. So it's really like you're on a daylight crunch. And during the winter hours, it's like it's tough. Like you'll be out and you're just getting started, and it'll literally get dark at like four fifteen. Ugh, that's rough. I'm glad that's over though. No doubt. It would. And then we got we got about a month of this till it starts to get shorter again. So we got it. Basically two yeah. months of it getting dark at this time or later. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But man, so what prompted me to ask you if you wanted to do this, which first of all, thank you for even doing it. But, uh, so thank you. Yeah. So the big thing that really made me want to ask you about this is the whole demolition pro thing. That's recent and yeah. sick. Tell me a little bit yeah. about that. I know, dude. It still hasn't really like sunk in. It's definitely like a dream come true. Like, ever since I was like a little kid, I've always wanted to like be an official, like officially be like turned pro. You know, like amongst all the peers, and especially like growing up in a place like San Diego, you're surrounded by like dudes who are like legit pros and have done the whole, the whole shebang. You know, and it's like I've had opportunities to like go do very pro esque things and like you know, you, you can make your own definition of what it is to be a pro, but to like actually get like that sort of recognition and like badge of honor amongst like your community and your peers in the industry, it like really is like a very challenging task to, to complete. And like, to finally like achieve that was something that's like still very surreal. Um, like seeing the flyer that we made that has like my name and it says like, welcome to pro. And then like the, the video that I made that was like the announcement thing on Instagram and like at the end, that welcome to pro it was just like so surreal but it's it's really cool i'm stoked yeah it's so sick to see how long did you know before that video came out like was it a thing you knew about 
Um, so like the little announcement video we mm -hmm. put on Instagram, that was, um, I found out about two or three weeks before that I was about to go on a trip out of town for like an un BMX related trip. And, uh, they called me up to the office and it was, this was like a few, about a month after like my, my video part for demolition had came out and they called me up to the office and I was like, this is like a little weird. Like it was like a little vague, like what they were calling me up there for. But I honestly didn't know like what was going on. And I was like, I hadn't been up to the office in like a long time. I haven't like just had a chance to connect with them and things have been different, like, you know, with changing up the team and like all sorts of stuff. So I was like, I don't know what's going on. Like, so I'm like, might as well like just go up and I'll try to kill two birds with one stone and like do some other like random work stuff up there and maybe ride or something too. So I go up there and they like cut right to the chase. Like we're like, we're, like trying to catch up and everything. And then like right away, they like, we're super casual about it too. And they were just like, yeah, like, so we brought you up here because we just want to turn you pro. And I was like, what? Like, no way. That's crazy. <laughs> and, uh, and it, it's just so crazy, like how casual it was because it's something like I've thought about forever, you know? Um, but at the same time, like, that's what was so cool too. It's like, it's just, it just happens like that, you know? That's so, awesome. Where did you... that? And then I went out of town and I, they were like, yeah, you can figure out like how you wanted, like, like do the whole announcement thing. And, um, so then I started like getting the, the ball rolling with the whole production aspect of that. So nice. Were you scared at all going up there? Like, Oh no, this could be bad. A little bit. Yeah. I mean, it, I, it could be swung either way. Cause it, they were so vague about it. Maybe like a little part in my head, like I said, I've always dreamed of like that happening. So maybe a little part in my head, I was like, Ooh, what if like, what if that's happening? Like, what if they're bumping me to pro or I'm like, or what if it's bad news? Like, what if it's like a bigger thing, like in the, the company side of things or my place within the brand? Like I was like, I don't know. I didn't know what to expect. I was just going up with no expectations. I was just going up like, Oh, this is just like a pit stop on my way to like do something else in LA. So I don't like overthink it. And, uh, Ended up being for the for the better. So that's so sick. How's that? How's that feel? Dude, still it feels crazy. It feels really, really cool. Um, and I, I like personally messaged like a handful of people that um, you know, like I, I don't necessarily know if they really like took physical part in like maybe making that happen, but some people who I like I had been very like verbally communicative about like understanding how all of it works and things like that. And they've been kind of like mentors if you will like mm -hmm. of me growing up as a bmx rider and like to tell them about the announcement and everything like beforehand and everything was was really really special and like really cool um and yeah it honestly still hasn't set in yet it just yeah it's it's just it's just cool <laughs> i mean dude you've been putting in a lot of work maybe maybe not like as we because you see the videos come out and all of the work is put in before those come out but the videos yeah. were all just hitting, you know, back to back to back. And it was like, geez, every single one is so crazy. And then that comes out and it just makes sense. Was it like, did those videos come out sequentially like that by design or did it just happen to come out so close together? No, not sequentially by design at all. Um, so the very first one that came out was my, my GT video part. Mm -hmm. And that actually premiered like about a summer, a summer earlier last year. And that had been out, but it was a, it was a full length and the, my individual part hadn't been released. So then my, when my individual part had been released by that point, I was, I was very close to finishing up my newest video for demolition. 
So I was like, oh, this is really cool. I get to finally share like a lot of the things that like, you know, maybe people didn't get to see or <clears throat> my most recent work. Um, and then so like that was coming out and then I was like simultaneously like getting really close to finishing my demolition one. And I was thinking that way though. I was like, oh, like this would be really good timing. Like have the GT one come out then a couple months later, not like too soon, not too later, but like just a couple months later, have like another one come out that's like totally fresh footage. And I think something that was like expanding upon what I had just put out in the GT one and then have that come out really promote the crap out of that. And then like any sort of like the Instagram, social media stuff in between and afterwards definitely like helps promote and this kind of like adds to the, the fire of all that. So I, I was thinking that way. And I do think that that is like kind of what helped really give that last little final push. Um, I know from the demolition standpoint, like that was something they specifically touched on was they really recognized not only had I been with the brand for like over seven years, but and shown my loyalty and always been like had a great relationship with them. But they definitely verbally recognized like my my most latest initiative I took with uh, just initiating things with the brand towards this last video part with like trying to schedule like a photo gallery and doing like just kind of more engaging type stuff and creating more content and really, really trying to like tack down and get the video and get it pushed out like within a timely manner they really recognized that it all kind of like happened at the same time you are very professional about this stuff <laughs> i try to take it professionally like i said it's my dream and it's something i've always wanted to do and um the last few years i've been exposed to other like work environments outside of bmx that have like pushed me to like be very professional i guess so i try to carry that into something else that i'm like very extremely passionate about and like would hope that I could use it to like reciprocate to like some other kid out there or like uh, other people who are all just as like in love with the sport as I am. So like trying to take it as seriously as I can and just do a good job has always been something that like I've been stoked about. Yeah. Okay. So let's take that a step further talking about trying to, you know, maybe reciprocate that to a younger kid or something. So like, what are some of the things that you're consciously thinking about in that regard of being like professional towards the BMX side? Um, I mean, I guess like, like, I don't know. I, I guess I try to remember like when I was like a young kid, like growing up at the skate park and stuff, like I said, in San Diego, you're surrounded by like some of the sickest pros like in the world. And like, I remember when I was a kid, like I just, I looked up to them so much, like quite literally, cause I was little. And also <laughs> like, I was like, just looking up to like the way that they rode and the way they did things and stuff. So like I try to remember that. And then I also remember like how maybe kind of self-conscious I would feel or like not super confident to like speak up and maybe ask questions or like just, you know, want to be engaged with them. So like I try to be like super like cool with like any other kids that I meet. And they don't have to be kids. They can be <clears throat> people I meet that are my age too. Like, you know, if, if people are like really interested and passionate about the sport and like wanting to like, find a direction with it like i'm always down to like be super open about it super candid and try to be supportive so i think that's like the biggest thing like moving forward as a professional rider to like help inspire and like kind of push other people that's yeah i mean that makes a lot of sense in the the community social aspects of things too but there's also the stuff you're talking about with like initiating the photo gallery things like so what are some of yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff too i mean that's the professional side as well 
Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, especially in today's day and age, like there is is so much more than just the bike riding that you're doing. And if there, if you don't have like a, because there's so many people out there outside of the people who are riding with you on a daily basis or the people who are in your local region and community that might see you at jams and events and stuff. Like there's so many other things that you have to do to put out there to like help push your sponsor or push the people who are supporting you. So coming up with like ideas to create content and some sort of like engagement and like entertainment, really trying to utilize any of the platforms you have and, you know, just trying to like just make stuff of it instead of just doing like one thing while you're waiting for that to happen, you could be doing this over here. And then while you're waiting for that to happen, you could be doing this over here. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's just my personality. I feel like I'm a little hyperproductive, but yeah, just trying to like do as much as I can. I mean, you could chalk that up to your personality in that part of it, but it's also just being a good representative for the companies that you work with and trying to do what is your job effectively and like do a good job at it. So it's a little bit of both. Yeah. I like to like, like pull back a little bit and like look at the grand scheme of things of like, like my favorite thing to do is like, go on BMX trips, like with your team. Like that is ultimately like the best thing, like getting in the van, going on a trip where you don't really have much of an agenda. You're just with your friends and you're just having a good time riding and stuff. And we all love to do that. But to do that, that takes like good budget from like a company and to get good budget, you need to like have really good engagement with your brand and your customers make sales obviously. So then how do you get from that point? It's like, okay, that's, that's up to the riders and stuff like that. But then like, what can the riders be doing? So that's where I think like, if you look at the grand scheme of things, I try to do things on my end to do something that is trying to like push towards potentially moving the needle for the brand. That way we have more like leeway and more space to have like extra budget to do fun things like go on trips and stuff like that. So that's where I try to like think in the grand scheme of things of every little thing you're doing is trying to push towards doing the more fun stuff with your friends. You'll work hard so you can play hard. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Putting that as simply as possible. But you're absolutely right. And I think if more people talked and thought that way in BMX, you'd see even more road trips and even more fun stuff because you really do have to realize that you have to – those things cost money and that money has to come from somewhere. And if you – help that money get there well then guess what they're gonna be even more apt to be like yeah you helped us get this so we're gonna do this yeah absolutely no i I feel like it definitely is like a trickle effect that way like a chain reaction and there's all sorts of stuff like you know i mean we as riders already are like huge kind of diy like one-man band entrepreneurial type beasts but sometimes you really got to do you really got to do it all you know like BMX is pretty small and like if you want to make it happen you got to make it happen so i've just yeah. kind of grown up with that mentality i guess yeah i mean personally for me even just because i live in ohio and i mean i the only reason i am where i am is because of all of the videos that i just made happen where i have the camera and i'm like hey can you film this real quick i'm going to i want to do this and whatever and just make intentionally just making videos because I want to make videos and at the same time that just happens to be what like pushes you further and yeah and sometimes you do have to do that sometimes you gotta make your own videos yeah yeah that's true 
it's always good when you can get help wherever you can, but sometimes yeah. you got to take, take the bull by the horns. <laughs> <laughs> have you been like intentionally pushing it harder riding wise the same way you have with the mentality behind all of it? Um, I think so in a, in a different style of riding than I ever have before. I think, especially in the last year or two, um, I think I was definitely pushing more of like my capabilities in like street riding and things with like rail riding and specific grinds and stuff that like I've just taken a real liking to focusing more on trying to find like a very specific sort of niche within like my type of riding and like, yeah, like really pushing the envelope with that in, in my own personal way. Um, I think, yeah, I, I was trying to to get really good at doing that stuff while all and filming the, the nature of filming too, like filming for videos and stuff like you try to approach almost every clip as something that is like challenging or new for you in some way, shape or form. So that kind of innately makes you like push, push harder at riding. And then like, while you're also pushing harder at riding, you're pushing it maybe perhaps like the business minded mentality as, aspect of it also. So it's like, it's just kind of like all a, a drug at the same time. You just like want to do all of it, you know? Yeah. And I mean, the way you talk about all this stuff, it was, it's very clear that the demolition pro and all of this stuff was coming at some point. If you Thank keep you. thinking about everything, the way that you are and doing things the way that you are like that, and just being intentional about trying to do better, like, yeah, I mean, how can anybody argue with that? Thank you. You know, I, I like to, I'd like to think so. And, and I think that can, that can apply in almost like all fields of life, like within BMX and outside of BMX, but like, yeah, just having a slight, and it really isn't a huge change in your lifestyle or anything like that. It's really just having a little bit more of, like you said, like a slight bit of intention towards the things that you're doing. And that can be like on a, a small scale of things within the actual like tricks and the style of writing you're doing, or in the grand scheme of things, like the content that you're producing, the time frame that it's in and like, you know, the, you know, your involvement with your sponsors or the events that you're going to and stuff like that. Like just pulling back for a moment and thinking about a little bit more about intention and placement um, can, can help, I think, get you to where you want to go. <laughs> At least I think. It makes perfect sense. <clears throat> and it's, it's cool. It's cool to hear this insight behind the things because it is very clear. I mean, you can see it in motion in the stuff that you're doing. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I try to be like as open and as candid as I can. I don't know because I've I've been that like younger kid who maybe feels like sometimes there's a slight bit of like a stigma of like understanding like the the bigger picture idea about BMX and stuff. Like not really having like a clear idea of like what I should do. Really, at the end of the day, there isn't anything you should be doing. You should just like continue to be doing it that you because you love it. But there's also often times like you are put in situations where you're like, no, like I want to pursue something and I want to go down this avenue and there's nothing wrong with that. So sometimes like even that, but even at that time, like you, you, like no one really like talks about it or like is open about it that much. So I try to give as much insight about the way I like to do things. So if that is helpful towards anyone, like I'm stoked on that too. So I just like go, go with it that way. Yeah. A hundred 50,000% and I feel like this could all be summed up very simply by be yourself so well and be intentional about what you're doing in a way that is undeniable. 
Yeah. I heard a quote from DMC somewhere. Like he said, he's like, be yourself and be yourself at 110%. And like that will take you further than you'll like ever know. I don't know if that's the exact quote, but I know the 110% part, like that was from him for sure. But I was like, that made so much sense. Like you shouldn't be trying to feel like you need to fit into some sort of like mold or box or whatever. You got to like just continue to be you and just be you like at 110%, like just as much as you can. And let's just dive right into the BNU part. Mr. One-handed X-up grind, like, <laughs> first of all, what? <laughs> like, like, where did that thought even come from? Where did that thought come from? How'd you even think of that? I just, it really was like a random thing messing around at Claremont one day. Claremont is still, I grew up riding that skate park since I was a little kid, and I still, to this day, like, it's like home away from home for me. Even though the skate park has changed so much and the style of ramps and stuff, I, like, always adapt to like the little things that will be there and like yeah one day I was just messing around and I was getting more and more comfortable with doing x-up grinds and like in the air like on a quarter or a box I love doing like one-handed x-ups so I was like oh that would always be a dream like almost like jokingly like oh that'd be a dream to do a one-handed x-up grind like how the heck are you gonna like hold on to the bike like one-handed while you're grinding like I was like this is a joke and like on this tiny little baby ledge that's like a foot off the ground I was doing it like into a stall and I just like ended up pulling it. It was so sketchy and it hurt my arms so bad. I was like, there's no way. And then I was able to get one where I was like sliding and actually got like a little clip of it. And I was like, oh, this is sick. Like this is still like so sketchy to like really take to like the next level. But I just, I guess that's just like how BMX evolves. Like you just learn something silly and like messing around and you just keep like fucking around with it. And then it turns into something like, wow, I'm starting to figure out like, oh, if I balance this way or if I like lean over it this way and I do the timing right, like I actually have full control over it. And it took a while of like really doing them like super sketchy until like I can like really know like the timing of it all. And then I was like, <clears throat> I was actually finishing up. Yeah, that that I learned it that that day. And then like a couple weekends later, I went with Jeff Z and we filmed one on like a little outledge for the GT video. And I was still like in the baby infant stages of that. And I was like, dude, the dream would to do this like on a legit setup, like down a handrail. But I was like, I don't fucking know, man. Like it's so scary to like go down a handrail. Like it's just like the most uncontrolling trick. And then like I said, I don't, I don't know how I figured out how to learn how to control them. I just kept messing around on little flat rails and flat ledges. And it still is one of those tricks. Like I, I don't really believe that I actually figured it out. I'm very proud of myself that I was able to get that. <laughs> like to get the science of it figured out. So yeah, I'm, I'm loving that trick. So the one that you did on the rail, was that like, how did it take a while? Does it you fire it right out? How did it go? One that was in the demolition video that I did on the rail that has like the caps on it. That was actually the very first one I ever did like down a real street handrail. Prior to that, I have done them in the skate park, like on a bunch of flat rails and at Dennis's ramps, he has like a flat rail at the top that's like fairly mellow. And that was like, I did it, I did it there a couple times. And I'm like, okay, like a real rail is probably gonna be a little bit steeper than this. But like, if I can figure it out, I can figure it out. And then, yeah, I just, I, we went to that spot, the rail with the caps on it. And then I just X up grinded it a handful of times. And I was like, I'm just gonna have to try it. And then I just went for it and did it first try. And I was stoked. And that's my favorite clip. Like, 
because I also sometimes you can do it weird where you know your hands like kind of off and I'm like no I want to do it like like proper where your hand is back and locked in so I was super stoked on that one and the spot too like the fact you're doing it over the kinks I'm like this would be like the cool like testament of this trick to like hold on and do it down like a legit setup like over these little kinks and stuff so yeah I was pumped on that one I mean you very easily could have done the hi mom and yeah, then just like barely made it out of there but no you made sure it was legit and I think that's super cool because I mean up until the GT video and then the demolition video I feel like there was a I mean, I feel like if you ask people about you and your riding, it would park riding would get brought up, you know, it would not be predominantly street, which those videos were. And then those videos come out and you're like, whoa. Yeah, I, I wanted to capitalize on like really setting myself apart and doing things that are like very true to me. Um, growing up in the last few years, I did get a lot of comparisons to Dennis's riding because he and I look very similar. And we ride in the same city. So I also like kind of had that in mind too. And I was like, you know what? Like I want to do the things that like I'm really excited about and stuff. So um, definitely like towards the GT video, I was really getting comfortable and finding like this comfortable niche with doing the X up grinds and more like rail riding grinds and stuff like that. And yeah, then the demolition one, I really capitalized on the X up stuff. Uh, but like I said, it just feels natural. It's just what I'm stoked on. Like, you know, you don't have to like, do all these other things just to like prove that you can do this. Like I just was stoked on what I was doing. It's, it's funny how you could do something like a one handed X up grind on a rail, but then you think of a trick that's like way easier, but something you just absolutely would never want to do. And it's like, because the drive isn't there for yourself, you're just like, no, no way. I'm not even going to try it. It's too scary. Yeah, but you'll do the one-handed X-up grind on a rail because your brain just pushes you into those things that you really want. Yeah, it's like different strokes for different folks. You know, like some people, things come way more naturally. Like if I was asked to like oversmith this down rail, it's like there's no way. Like I don't know how to do that. Like, you know, some people like that's like their their, their niche. Like they're really good at that and like that's their thing. Or tire riding a rail or something. I don't know. It could be anything. Like yeah, that's just, I guess, just that's what the beauty of BMX is, is that there's no right or wrong. And like this, you have your own style that you develop and like you can be more comfortable with certain things than others. And I think that's dope. It is dope. It's super dope. Yeah. Did you also do, I feel like I'm picturing, maybe I'm wrong. Was there an X up grind, undo it to bar on a rail or something? Yeah. That is also like, that's the kind of thing that you see people do on like a bank to ledge. People have done that forever, uh-huh. but to do that while moving and off of a grind, it's another one that's just sick. That was another one that was similar in the aspect of the one-handed X-up grinds. I knew that like people had done like X-up grind to bar. That one seemed so loose to me also because like I learned that one a little bit earlier on in the stages of getting comfortable with X-up grinds. Once again, like just on a flat ledge, like messing around, it was the same mentality like, oh, like I don't know, like – and the very first few that I did was like so loose. It was like these like sketchy little like pickup bar spins and like my hands would just like barely catch the bars or I would blow <laughs> out backwards and I would like – it would just be a total mess. And once again, like you just kept kept doing it and kept figuring it out and then before you know it, like it was like 
it just would like click and it's like it would just became something that was so much easier to do like you could just unravel the x up grind and it would just do the bar spin and you can catch it and then yeah i just started figuring them out more and then I, there were some contests that i was going to and i was like that that really pushed me too to like try to do it like in a run and like have them dialed and yeah doing them on rails and stuff like that i did in the gt video my last clip i did it like a this fairly long one on like a rail and i did the bar out and then cap like kind of to capitalize on that trick like for the demolition video i was do learning the one-handed x up grind so like one of the first clips i did like a one-handed x up grind to bar spin out thought, yeah that's insane so <laughs> i see it's like little things like that like i like to like really figure out and like put together and and the one-handed x ups i was like i don't know if i could do like tricks out of this but then like you just start figuring it out so I'm stoked on them. <laughs> That's just the sick thing about BMX. And I feel like it's something where you almost reach this point in riding and just being involved with the mainstream industry of BMX where like, I, I see this with people locally where some people are like, well, I don't want to only be this guy. I don't want to be the whatever trick guy. And I'm like, well, dude, you got to think about it though. Everybody who's a legend in BMX is the, that guy. You know, we can yeah. all think of that guy. And so that's, I think, what helps even more is like someone like you pushes what you like and your niche so far that you become that guy. And that is just what people want to see. And I think it's cool. And I think like that, that is so true. And I think a lot of times that just happens by accident. Yep. Like I never thought like I would... I guess become more of like this the the X up grind guy like I, I I guess I'm falling into that category because I'm doing them so much but yeah I know what you mean and a lot of times like people like I get it like we don't like to be pigeonholed like you know just like a lot of famous musicians they don't like to like be remembered just for that one song or you know that one style of music like they like to change and stuff too it's just I think it's just it's a human thing that we do we just naturally like to latch onto something as a as a memory. And but it's a good thing to have something that's memorable. It's better than having nothing that's memorable and like all of it just gets like lost in the wash, you know. So, yeah, I feel like if there's anyone out there who's getting like stressed out about like, oh, I'm like becoming like this guy. Like, I don't it's not a bad thing at all. Like, I, I think it's really cool that you can you can have something that is like very unique and signature to yourself There's a good thing. But I also get it like you don't want to be pigeonholed and stuff like that. So I guess that's always kind of the the mastery of figuring out how to like blend it all seamlessly. Yeah. I mean, I didn't set out to be the ice pick stall guy. <laughs> like, it, Same just, thing. Like, it just it, started happening. It yeah. happened. That's funny. But I mean, there's another thing when you were talking about the, the quote of the 110% thing, there's something that I've said forever. And probably since I realized that I was the ice pick guy was like, just find what you do best and do it better than anyone else. Yeah, hundred percent. I know I've, I've heard other people say that same thing too. Like it's better to be like really, really good at like one thing than be like sort of good at like a bunch of other things. There's nothing wrong with being sort of good at a bunch of other things too. There's, it's great to be well-rounded and be versatile also. That's awesome. But I think what people mean is like, it's leaning into like, yeah, that signature sort of thing that you become like that is synonymous like with you because it's like you've put 110% effort into being really good at that. And um, that doesn't mean all the other stuff gets forgotten. You know, the real ones will always, well, they'll always appreciate it and stuff. But 
uh, yeah, it's definitely just like trying to like capitalize on doing one thing that you're like really, really excited about and get really, really good at that, you know? At the same time, I do feel like you are super well-rounded of a rider. <laughs> Thank you. I try, I, 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 I try to be, um, like growing up in San Diego, like I said, like that is like a huge product of that. I've, we've always like loved riding everything. People like Gary and Dennis and even Chad, like all those dudes growing up, like are super well-rounded riders. So thank you. So it's something you like, is it just something that kind of happened because you were in that area and around all of those people? Or is it something you ever think about and try to do? I think it was like a little bit of both. I think growing up, like I said, at Claremont, Claremont is a super well-rounded skate park in its own. And the older days, it was like just a big, like spread out park where like the park section and then the bowl and the box jumps and then the street section and like the vert ramp, it all like kind of blended together and you could just like flow everywhere. And when you're riding with your friends and like kind of like your, your older guys who you would look up to, I guess, or whatever, for me, it was Steve Woodward and like, they would always give you shit if it was like, oh, you can do this over here, but like, oh, you can't do that over here. Like, like you're lacking in this and you know, the shit would begin and then it's like oh now you have to be able to do a little bit of that and you got to be do a little bit of that and then like when you have when you get outside of that that skate park there's all these other parks that are like a total like street style like mix of parks like even ob is like that and you know now we have linda vista and stuff too that's like skate plaza mixed with bowls and stuff so you kind of like when it like when you're not doing stuff over here we're so spoiled that we have stuff over here that we can like go over there and you just start to do a little bit of both. And plus too, like I personally like was really excited about other styles of riding too. So like I wanted to go, like if I couldn't go to Claremont when I was younger, if my parents couldn't take me, like the nearest skate park was this one called PQ. That's like definitely like way more of like a street plaza. They have like a little like four foot spine, but compared to Claremont that has like eight foot, 10 foot ramps, it's like way different. So I was like, okay, like I'm forced to just like, start riding like these little banks and like use my pegs and stuff like that too. So yeah, it's a little bit of both. And then I was also like, I didn't want to miss out on other things. So I'm like, I'm just going to try to ride everything. I found little, little fun battles amongst every little form of riding. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely something that you can see. I am curious how it feels to be a little kid in a, just a sea of legends in <laughs> at Claremont and in San Diego. Like, that is wild. I can't even imagine just yeah. that. It's a trip, dude. Like, yeah, like I grew up with Steve Woodward, like on a regular basis. Like he was at the park every single day. Gary Young, Chad Curley, Dennis Anderson. You had even like Wong Tran and Kyle Hart and all sorts of dudes like the Sabrosa Riders and fuck, I'm probably forgetting some names, but uh, those are like definitely like the main guys that I saw at Claremont when I was really young. Albert Mercado, you know, like so many names, so many different styles of riders that like grew up riding at Claremont specifically, but just San Diego in general. And it was super motivating, you know, and it was just, yeah, it was, it was super cool. It was like Steve Woodward is the per first person I ever saw do a backflip. So it was like, he was always there and like, he did like huge, like Superman Indian airs and I would play like the Matt Hoffman video game and like that was like a trick in there and then I would see it in real life and I'd be like, dude, like so I want to learn the Indian air so bad and like so it was just like little things like that that you would get to see stuff in real life and the progression happened so much because it was just like you could always like be leveling up too.
So, yeah. Did you feel like, or have you recognized any kind of drive in yourself being that you you're around all these older dudes who are just already superheroes on bikes? Do you feel like that helps you get better in your own riding faster? Um, yeah, I think so. I think like, yeah, you always want to like try to strive to be like at that level and stuff. And I think like, yeah, you always, you always see too, you're like, well, those guys are like living the dream. They're like doing like what I want to do and stuff. And you're like surrounded by that all the time. So it constantly like pushes you to like want to be at that level. Um, but yeah, I don't know. And it was, it was just cool to like have that like right, right at your side at all times, pretty much like. Yeah, I was, I was, I definitely am very, very thankful for a place like Claremont and I'm very spoiled for having that and I'm a huge, I'm a, definitely a product of that environment. So thank uh, you. <laughs> so sick. Would, would you say Steve was the guy that you, who was there any one of those names that you rode with the most? Yeah, definitely the most. Steve definitely like took me under his wing and then like I rode with my best friend Brendan and he took him under under his wing too. And like, he would be the guy who was at the skate park all the time, especially when I turned into more of like my teenage years when like, I was like really starting to like take it seriously and wanting, and was like progressing more like every single day. Um, he was the one that was there that was like, we would always be sessioning like little things together and it would like the shit talking would begin and you'd pressure each other to like do stuff. And yeah, you, you need like that companion of someone there like with you, like to really, really push you to like try new things and like, just like step out of your comfort zone all the time. And like, he was just like an environment like that, like every session. So he was like, definitely like one of the biggest, the biggest influences Gary and Dennis and those guys were there a lot too, but they would pop in every once in a while. And, um, yeah, all of them. I feel like Steve Woodward is the name that anytime he comes up, it's like just legend status in BMX. And it's like that guy, it took him. He's on colony pro now. Finally. Sick, but it was like such a long time coming for him to make it happen. He's still crazy. He's a legend. Did you ever come to Claremont and like ride back in the day when he was like there a bunch? No, I've never been to Claremont. Oh, you've never been to Claremont? No, you'd love it. Oh, I'm, I know. <laughs> yeah, it looks amazing. I'm sure he's probably been out there because I know he's been out to like raise and stuff too, like over the years. And um, I don't know. I've yeah, I'm not sure. He lives in New Mexico now, but yeah, long time coming. He's he's always been a legend. Like has always been like doing stuff that was like so signature to Steve. Like whipped uh, lawn mowers and the one handed whips and like over ice picks on the oh, yeah the biggest with over ice picks. That's signature Steve. There you go. That's like that's like what we're talking about right there. Like something that is so signature and so synonymous that like Steve is remembered by like okay he shows up to an event. Steve is the dude who's going to do the, the crazy pegless ice pick or pegless over ice pick somewhere, you know, just like everyone else, like they might have it. Like there's like that dude who's just going to do that, but he's not forgotten about like all the other sick shit that he can do too. Like it's just a delicate, delicate balance and it's not a bad thing. And Steve is a great example of that. Yeah. One trick I feel like I always talk about when his name comes up is that whip to over ice on a spine, double coat yeah, spine. Crazy. What? Pegless. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You win the over ice game. So savage. Yeah. Uh, I know he, he came back to like a jam at Claremont like a couple of years ago and we have like this probably like a 10 or 11 foot, like huge slant wall. And there's yeah. like a, like just a regular railing. And on the backside, it's like a dead man drop. 
And he like pegged us over ice. We like all knew. We're like, dude, like Steve hasn't been here in forever. And I know he has his eyes on that. Like, yeah, he's always done sick shit like that. Yeah. Shout out to Steve Woodward. He's, shout out. he's another one of those guys. I mean, even when Dennis talks about him, talks about how underrated that he was over time. And uh, honestly, I felt for the longest time, like you were underrated as a rider. I don't know if that's something that you ever felt. It just, I feel like it's one of those things where it's like, I saw that you were on demolition pro and my genuine reaction was like, he's not already. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. I've, that, that means a lot. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I would consider myself, I wouldn't claim that I'm underrated or by any means, but that is very kind for people to, to say that and think that, um, I don't know. I just keep going. Um, and I'm stoked that like I got like that opportunity, but yeah, I don't know. Steve is, Steve has definitely always been underrated. He's a savage. He's, he's always been like, but like, that's what I mean. Like there's, there's some people who like, you know, if you know, like, you know, like, like some people may not know Steve is like the big name pro, but like, you know, he's just like legend status. He just like has done so much sick shit. We can talk about Steve. We can do a whole podcast on Steve. Yeah. Love that dude. Uh, I mean, yeah, we could do that. But yeah, I genuinely, I felt like you've been underrated for a long time and just seeing everything happen lately is like, man, this is such a long time coming for, how old even are you? I'll be 25 this Saturday, actually. Dang, well, <laughs> happy early birthday in five days. Hey. Yeah. Nice. Well, yeah, I mean, that's just how I felt. I don't know if other people have felt that way and like you being conscious of everything you are and you're seem like a humble dude you're not gonna be like yeah i feel like i put in all this work and nothing happened from it yeah i should have gotten this like forever ago like i'm the best there ever was no i'm not like that (laughs) (laughs) no but thank you that means a lot i mean like i'm not gonna lie and say and pretend like i'm not gonna lie but i'm not gonna pretend like you don't put in a lot of work you know what i mean that's what i mean oftentimes we maybe feel like there's this stigma that like you can't be open about like the things that you're doing are totally intentional because like you care about the sport. And especially if you're surrounded by your friends that are like, yeah, I'm pro I'm getting paid. I'm doing all this like cool shit. I'm doing like living the dream and like getting to the, go to these events. It's like, yeah, of course I want to do that. And like, I'm going to for sure like intentionally put in the work to try to get myself there and do those sort of activities and be like on that level. So like, yeah, a hundred percent. Like I was definitely like aiming towards doing that. And, um, was very grateful that it actually happened. It's pretty crazy. Like, Cause I know there's a lot of guys out there that like, you know, for whatever reason, for one or another, like it's, it boils down to other like powers that be, but a lot of times it doesn't ever really happen for people, you know, people. And like I said, you, you don't need someone else's like seal of approval or anything like that. Like you are, you are made by your own like definitions, um, in other ways. But when you do get like a certain like seal of approval from certain people, it does feel really nice. And yeah, it's that legitimizing factor that you like didn't need but damn it feels good <laughs> yeah exactly 100 percent. yeah that's a good way to put it yeah well hell yeah uh i wanted to take it back a little bit i mean demolition pro obviously we know what pro means but i was also curious and you talked a little bit about like working too what else mm-hmm. do you do outside of bmx yeah so that's a whole like another topic of things i like I said, I try to when when something is like not necessarily working or like something is like I'm doing this, but I'm like I need to fill my time other ways. 
Like I'm, I'm always that way. I'm always like pivoting and doing other stuff. The most recent and biggest thing that I've been into is that I've, I'm an artist. I went to school at San Diego state and I got my degree in studio arts. Um, yeah, I studied art history. I was a painter, drawer, and I primarily did ceramics and I finished up my degree, um, in 2021, but the semester before I graduated, I started my own business because also like the pandemic and stuff was still like lingering and things really slow. I took a semester off. And then during that time, I started my own business, like very small scale, just starting to sell some of my pieces on social media and like small online channels like Etsy, which is not small anymore. Etsy is a huge thing. But anyways, I started putting my work out there and it just snowball effect into like a full time business for me. And I do like pop up like craft shows and like local farmers markets. And it's now scaled to the point now where like I'm doing like large trade shows. I went to a trade show in New York, Dallas, like Las Vegas. And yeah, that's kind of my full-time gig. I'm working almost every single day and I treat it like it's a full-time job from doing all sorts of things to developing my business and sharing my work as an artist. Damn. So that's what I, that's what I juggle the most, which has been really hard to do with uh, BMX especially because it's just been so time consuming. Um, because before doing that, I I've been dabbling kind of in the modeling industry a little bit too. And that is, that's been a little bit easier to juggle because there's a lot of like similarities in the BMX world that it's like, there's, there's only so much you can really do and like you can stay active and stuff. You kind of just wait around for things to pop up in that industry. And, um, so like I was doing that stuff and like, that was cool. And I still, I still am every once in a while. And like, it would, that just started to like pop off for me. So I was like, why not just like figure this out? This is a cool thing to leverage like my bike riding with the entertainment and the talent world and the fashion world and get into modeling. But then that started to like, kind of like I started to get used to that. And then, like I said, I was finishing up college and I was like, I need to pivot and do something else and try to use my degree and started very small scale. And now it's, I'm super lucky that it's like turned into a full business and full-time job. Yeah, that is amazing, man. Thank you. I, this is actually one of my pieces right here. So the main product that I make um, are these blankets. So this is actually a, a woven blanket. I don't know if you can see here. Whoa. So this was like one of the first things that is kind of my primary product that like really snowballed and turned it into a business. So I was coming up with ideas of how to like share my work, whether it's my paintings and drawings or whether it's my ceramic pieces. And I was just trying to come up with like new clever ways to make my work more accessible, more approachable and like most importantly, like functional. And then it also made it merchandisable. So I just put one of my paintings on one of these woven throw blankets that I got made and I posted it online and then uh, people started getting them and they really loved them and I designed more and then just re it just really kind of clicked for me and I found a way to like turn my art into a product and that has become like my bread and butter and now I found myself in the uh, interior design and home decor space. What in the world? How crazy. So yeah, super random. So if you see in the, the demolition video, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but good. in the demolition video, you'll see that there's like some little glyphs of like B-roll of like some art pieces. And then like, there's like the blanket and stuff. Yeah. Too. I wondered what that was. And then the name of the video is Parker and it has like handwriting. There's all these different signatures in the beginning. So the name of my brand is called Parker made and all of my paintings and the bottom of my ceramic pieces I sign as Parker and it kind of became like a signature thing for me in the art world 
And my whole business and brand is based off of that. So I wanted to fuse the two together as kind of like my video as sort of like this self-portrait about not only me as a BMXer, but my other creative avenues. Damn, that is awesome. So like the blanket that's behind you, what's the process yeah. for that? So like you make the design and then send that off and it gets made. Like, how's that work? Yeah. So I don't actually weave the blanket myself. Um, I do all the work Parker. and design. <laughs> I know. I wish. <laughs> no, but so many people like don't. They're like, wait, you weave that? I'm like, no. And then they're like, oh. I'm like, well, but hold on. There's still like some some cool value to it. But I uh, so I do all the. I'm a painter. Is how it all started. I started off selling my paintings and drawings. And I mean, by selling, I I sold one. I didn't really sell any. <laughs> so I was like. I was like, okay, I need to find a way to present my my artwork into something that's different and more like approachable and something that you can interact with like less traditionally instead of just getting this canvas and like putting it on the wall and it's like, wow, that's it. Well, like not everybody can kind of really feel like they're really getting a ton of value out of that. So I was like, okay, let's turn it into something that you can touch and feel, maybe wrap yourself in, take to the beach or the park, find some sort of like utilitarian use for it. So I came up with this idea by, uh, I do all the artwork and everything originally by hand. So I'll hand paint it on a canvas or whatever. And then I send that artwork to a weaver that I found that's actually based in North Carolina. And they utilize a large mechanical, like automated machine called a jacquard loom. And it utilizes like all these like threads and it's a really, really technical machine. Anyways, it's the, the, the image comes in and it outputs into this blanket and then that's what the the finished product is. And they're also reversible, which is cool. So yeah. <laughs> Whoa. That's super, yeah. super sick. And by, and by doing that, I don't have to like, I don't necessarily individually make each one. Um, I have like a standard collection of like 12 designs that I like have as my 12 piece collection, but then I will occasionally make like newer ones that are like one-offs and kind of custom made commissioned ones. Um, so then, yeah, that's how, that's exactly how they're made. So when you go to like these trade shows and things, are you just taking like a suitcase or like a trunk full of these different designs and setting them up and selling them or how's it work? Yeah. So the trade shows are a little uh, pretty, they're pretty involved. They're, they're, they're very high end and like very expensive <laughs> and like, you're like, okay, I got to make this booth like really worth my while. So I like will paint the booth and I'll have like all the sorts of like, banners of information i'll even have small furniture pieces i'll have my logo and i'll have like hooks where like i'm hanging all the different blanket designs from the blankets i even expanded into other home and living accessories like pillows tote bags and i even do socks as like fun just accessories so i'll bring all the products that i sell to the trade show booth and yeah i'll decorate the booth just like you would if you've ever been to inner bike or anything like that it's like a like a like a exhibitor booth and um, you'll go to these things and depending on the <clears throat> type of show, usually it's there to uh, talk to like trade buyers. So people who are either they have retail stores that are looking to buy your stuff wholesale or more recently talking with interior designers who are working on like custom projects and they need like kind of new and interesting assets for their projects. So working with independent artists like myself is like something that I've been trying to like expose myself to. Dude, 
That is a world that I bet you half the people, more than half the people, I bet there's like four people who are listening to this. are like, oh, I knew about that. Like, no, I, it's, it's, it, I literally live a double life. Like people have no idea. And I've kind of kept it that way. Like between my Instagram and stuff, like with the BMX and I post some of the modeling stuff I do, like I felt like kind of mixing in all this stuff about the art world and stuff. I was just like, you know what? Like I don't, I just kind of want to keep it like on its own and just go a whole new avenue and, and really try to find balance living like this double life, if you will. Um, so that, but then that's where like the, the demolition video came into play and I was finishing up that video and I really cared about it. And I had these goals with BMX and everything. And I was like, I really want to take initiative and I want, I want to make this happen, but I'm lying to myself if I said that like, it wasn't a struggle trying to figure out how to do it while also running a business and pursuing all this stuff in the art world. So it was, it was challenging finishing that video. Um, especially because I just didn't have the resources that most, you know, like up and coming pro riders would, or just regular pro riders would. So that's where I was like, I really took it very personal to not only like the tricks and things that I was doing, but also the editing and stuff. And I think the influence I've had with really developing myself as an artist and as a art, as a art business, I wanted to make the video like more and like really give attention that videos really are more of like an art piece. You treat every clip so intentionally and there's so much that goes into it and there's multiple clips and then the order of those clips and the, the lead-ins and the cuts and all that stuff and then the music and then the the editing and all sorts of like it really is like how an, a painter crafts a painting or a series of paintings or how a musician crafts an album or you know it's there's so much to it so I wanted to take it as a chance to like share a little bit of insight of like what I was doing while also filming that video so that's why we kind of put in little like blips about you know the Parker stuff and then blips about um, my paintings and the blankets and everything, but also keeping it super subtle and being almost like, what is that? Like, what the, like, what's going on with this shit? And I, I kind of get a kick out of that. So that's where it all kind of comes into play. A true artist. <laughs> I don't know about that, but I'm trying out here. I'm trying to just, I'm just doing it all. And I'm just trying to like be expressive creatively and just put it out there. And yeah. That's so sick. It's a lot. I feel like I'm wearing a million hats at once and I, it's a little yeah, exhausting. I feel you there, man, but it's cool. I had no idea. And I mean, I come from an art background myself. Like I went to, Oh, sick. I went to the Columbus college of art and design. So it was like, Oh, you did sick. What medium did you like primarily focus in? Cinematic like arts. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Cause I was originally how when you get done with high school, you're close to the end of high school, you tour around to different colleges. I originally yeah. thought that I was just like, all right, I'm good at drawing. So this is what I do in life. Like this is yeah. what happens. So I was going to all these different schools looking at their art programs because I was going to be a fine artist and I was going to draw every single day. Yeah. And like, I don't remember if I really wanted to do that or not, but I remember being at the Ohio University and I've told this story a million times. So I'm sorry to everybody who's hearing it again, <laughs> but it's, it's real. And it's the kind of thing that I think like people could get inspired by and just like finding that thing because I was in this meeting with the head of the art department, whatever. And we were talking, I don't remember what brought it up, but she was like, well, let me ask you this. What do you do for fun outside of this? I was like, well, I ride bikes and I make videos. And all she said in response was, you know, you can do that. 
Like, yeah, that's good. Good for her. You found a professor or someone that like actually encouraged you to like do that. Yeah. To, like, and that's exactly what happened. It was just like, you do that. Like you, people, yeah. you can make videos as like a job. I had no idea. And so that's what led me to find the Columbus College of Art and Design because they're all of their requirements for the the all majors, you know, the gen ed things and normal colleges are like painting, color theory, like basic things like that. So you have to do all of that, which I could do drawing at the same time, but also for cinematic arts, for video at the same time. So yeah, I, I graduated from there. Dude, that's sick. I, I had no idea. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of parallels between the visual arts world and bike riding and stuff. And that's probably where you found yourself. And like, that's why you're like in like the arts world that way. And that's so cool that you had someone who like encouraged you to be like, yeah, there's something out there. It's not just like the generic like blocks that you're supposed to fit in of doing this the right way. Because even like what I've done, like outside of art school, like, is kind of like against the norm for, for a regular like university. I didn't go, I wish I kind of went to like an, an art and design school and maybe one day I might go back, but um, I, I've had opportunities to be asked and come back and do like speaking presentations at like community colleges talking about how you can blend your, your fine art school background into the world of entrepreneurship and figuring out ways to like implement it in the world of professional practice outside of college and stuff like that. And a lot of times you kind of get like, jaded or feel like you you have to go in one direction um when really like you can you can make everything work um it's just like just doing it and believing in yourself i guess as corny as that sounds but like <laughs> you really you just gotta just like go for it and just like if you're stoked on it like keep doing it yeah and sir and alternatively to that i feel like it's also useful to bring up the whole like you don't have to go to college kind of conversation like that late. I could have not, I could have not made videos. It could have been, Oh, I like to work on something. And the lady could be like, Oh, you could do that. And because there's so much focus on like, you have to go to college or you have to do things this way. Or you have to do things, whatever certain way. It's like, no, you find what you like or a way that you fit in because like what you just said, your schooling background it's what you do now with blending the art with that entrepreneurial aspect of it it's not traditional for mm. the artist path so like they're not going to teach you that in your school but you found it on your own yeah absolutely and yeah that's a really good point like uh, you're not going to get college is is like i'm I'm back and forth about it because I, I get it. Like you don't, and I, it's not for everyone. Like there's a lot of things and values you can take out of it, but you have to be able to like be the go-getter that like wants to get that out of it. And yeah, I'm not doing anything related to what my degree was aside from like that it's art specific, but the stuff that I was doing in art school is like way above and beyond than like what the commercial direction, like direction I went to in the very beginning. Like that is like almost completely unrelated to like finding short-term success with that type of stuff. I didn't have a chance to to take any marketing classes or even a portfolio class or like any sort of business admin class like like so and then that's what the world that I fell into was like learning all this stuff about business and everything like that. So it's really like a non-linear path and you're going to like figure shit out, you know. BMX is even the same way too. I mean like you think that you're going to go this direction and then you end up going this way and 
sometimes it may be lacking over here, but then it's going to be fruitful over here and it's going to pick back up. Like, I think we always try to figure out what to do and how to pivot. <laughs> I feel like anyone who's successful outside of like the normal full-time job type of lifestyle that's exactly what it is it's not a linear path you are just working your way through life and you're following the opportunities and things that come up that are what you're drawn to the most and that's how people become so successful it's like I'm just following my heart and what I really feel like I want to do in life and a lot of people it's not aren't so fortunate to have it work out and I mean like yeah. seeing where you're at with things that is like so incredible just <laughs> because you, it's man. not the normal story I mean I see people that I went to school with that they're just like oh they're the they're the interior not interior the graphic designer at this whatever or the, oh they're the yeah. creative director at whatever and yeah that's probably pretty cool but like are you making your own thing and doing yeah. and selling like everybody that goes to art school has their thing just like tricks on a bike yeah you have your thing and you found a way to use your thing so yeah, dude, I'm stoked. I, it, like, it really honestly kind of happened by accident. And I'm very, I just kind of was like, I got like a little bit of momentum. I'm like, oh, okay, like just move with it. Keep moving, keep going. Yeah. And then like, I just started one little thing and it just like started to snowball into this. And like, I can't believe that it like turned into all of like what it is. But I, I hear the same narrative and the same story from people all the time. And I think that's a byproduct also of like, perhaps the academic institution that you're at that maybe you feel this pressure and that you know certain people in those areas they might tell you otherwise that like no you have to do it this way you can't do it that way you know and it, like students or like young people who are aspiring in whatever career that they are they feel kind of jaded by that so that can be like a little challenging too but i just try to tell i just yeah you it doesn't doesn't have to be as black and white as that like you're gonna figure it out and yeah i'm stoked that it worked out yeah, I mean, I'm still learning every day, but we all should be learning every day, though. Uh, I mean, I literally have a cinematic arts degree and I do YouTube. <laughs> like, It's kind of funny, you know, I mean, I my YouTube channel isn't my full time thing, but the part time job that I do have is also YouTube. It's just not for me. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, and that, that was the same thing with me. Like I have a fine arts background. Like I studied art history, like centuries of art history. And I studied like how to like traditionally like paint and draw and sculpt and do all these things. But then right after college, I started doing like the most, like, just like the most, like the most entry level kind of thing of like making a product and like making all this sort of stuff. It's like so unrelated. That doesn't mean that like that stuff can't be like infused and instilled within your practice and things you're doing on the side and like later on in the future. It's just like a temporary kind of thing of like how you're utilizing the skills and tools that you sharpened in, in school. So and like YouTube is one of those things now. Like that's like the name of the game nowadays. And like you gotta like you're just you're just capitalizing on one of the tools that you have like in a certain platform in a certain field yeah man what a cr i did not see this conversation going this direction yeah i know it's kind of like my little hidden secret a lot of people don't know but i think it's so funny that every once in a while i'll like post it on on my personal instagram and then like putting it in my video part and stuff but a lot of people had like no no one made any comment about that they just thought like 
because when you watch a lot of videos, especially someone like Vish or like Rich Foreign and stuff, they have tons of great like B-roll and they're like a very creative like video editors. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes people just think like that's what that was. They're just like, oh, it's just like random, random stuff, but it makes a cool kind of vibe for the video and the music and the writing. But yeah, that's all me. Even the, the name of the video was called Parker and like that signature is like actually my handwritten signature. So it was like, it was like an indirect self-portrait, if you will, about like everything that I've been doing. So it's kind of a fun little secret. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to go back and watch my uh, where I talked about it in the BMX news because I feel like I mentioned something about the art, but I can't remember okay. if I like thought that you did it or I just remember seeing that. But I also wanted to ask you too, before we move on from the art subject, it's just like, yeah. wh- what is your favorite style of painting that you would like, if you weren't doing rugs and you were just painting every day and you didn't have to worry about money or anything like that, what, what's the style you like the most? It's a good question. So my favorite style was studying a lot of painters and artists from uh, kind of the modernist era mm-hmm. and like modernism kind of gets confused with like a, a regular day definition of like modern meaning like today. Well, today actually means contemporary and modern actually means like the era prior to this and the modernist painters are actually dead. And if you're contemporary, it means you're alive. That's another skew that we're not gonna talk about, but (laughs) meaning is uh, kind of like subjected towards like the early 1900s to about like 1960, 1970. And primarily painters from the abstract expressionist movement which happened in the 1940s and 1950s, like big names like Jackson Pollock, who is that was very, what I was gonna bring up. Yeah, so the paint splatter stuff, like those those era of of painters, and then the decades prior to that, there was a movement called the Bauhaus that like influenced a lot of like this geometric kind of organic uh, fusion of like minimalist stuff. I think really inspire like inspires me and gets me really excited. Um, so anything that's like very like purely abstract. Stuff that's like, uh, I don't know, like symbolizes like the imperfection of the human hand or uses a lot of like organic elements and just has like a lot of energy. Like that type of stuff definitely influences my art and is some of my favorite to study. So if I Googled your name in art, would anything come up? Uh, you can try. You can, you can Google my website. It's parkermadeshop.com. Oh, no way. You without a shirt on. <laughs> <laughs> that's just one of the pictures uh, no that's so sick i was gonna ask like as you were getting into that definition i was like are you like the color the the single solid color with one square of another color kind of guy or yeah 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 those those artists are super sick too i mean mark rothko was one of those artists yes. who was a part like uh that era also and minimalism that came kind of after that um but I would say more of a modernist style. My style in my artist statement says like a, a modern aesthetic invoking a bohemian style. So that's kind of like my thing. And a lot of the comments that I get is most of my art like is very modern. Like this line work even behind me is inspired by artists, you know, like Picasso or yeah. Matisse, this single line kind of abstract face stuff. Very, very modernist. So yeah. Dude, how freaking sick. Thanks. Are you on the website? Yeah. Is there anything oh, specific sick. I should that you want me to like pull up or click on? Um. Well, we, the homepage like has like pretty much everything. You can see like my most recent paintings 
And then you can scroll down to where it gets more into like the Parker made section. And it has like more about the blankets and I have a shop tab too, that has like all the different products. You can see like the socks and everything too. I'm going to link this in the description for anybody. (laughs) That is so sick. Yeah. You got me over here. Like, man, I'm going to have to pick up one of these blankets and put it in the house. (laughs) I know that guy. Too freaking sick. I I think that's rad. Thank you. Is there one member pricing? What does that mean? So Trey, so yeah, that's like uh people who are like interior designers or retail buyers, um, kind of in the the world of business. Um, there you offer different different types of pricing for different mm-hmm. partnerships, uh, depending on the the client. Man, if anybody is just listening to this right now, you gotta but go over. They're like, oh god, talk more about BMX. They're like, what? Is, what is this guy talking about? <laughs> Modernist line. <laughs> you know what I'm gonna say to that? I'm gonna say you're on the wrong podcast because we are here to learn about people, not just talk about bikes. I like that. I'm here for it. <laughs> Ooh, dino throw. What's that mean? So that's the name. That's the name of the design. That one is like very pink with kind of like these like really organic shapes in it. Um, and actually, so there's actually some, some BMX relation to, to the names of these, because I personally hate naming my art pieces. I like to keep them very ambiguous because I think names can just kind of skew the idea of stuff, but for organization purposes and for just like business wise, it's good to have a name. So all of the names of those blankets, all 12 of them, they have uh, sort of nicknames and I was doing that. I was trying to organize them like literally in my space and try to talk about them. So dino comes from like, okay, the shapes in there kind of remind me of like this prehistoric kind of like dinosaur egg type shape. And then there's like this bright pink and this bright yellow and kind of an orange. And then I was like, oh, I ride for GT. That kind of reminds me of like the GT dino logo. And then like, so I spelt it D-Y-N-O. It really doesn't have any sort of like connection to BMX, but in my brain, that's kind of how my brain works. There's another one called Black Rainbow, and that one is Black Rainbow for obvious reasons because there's a rainbow shape. It's all black and white, but then also I was like, oh, I remember the word Black Rainbow because when you wall ride, oftentimes there's a nickname that you leave a black rainbow on the wall. So I'm like, how do I make this kind of like personal to myself? Um, red Stripe's another one. That's like my most popular one that's like has polka dots and has like a red stripe with black stripes. But Ooh, that I one see obviously the modern there. Yeah, it, obviously it has a red stripe in it. But then also I'm like, oh, red stripe is one of my favorite beers. So like, why don't we call it that? Like, <laughs> you are it's like, an artist. Really no meaning. It's just kind of fun to me. It's just how my brain works. Dude, you are a definite artist. That is so. <laughs> I mean, that's see, that's this is the side of like the art world that I personally never understood because i'm a realism person like oh yeah my drawings are all i'm trying to make this thing as close to the original that i possibly can so like i feel like i've always had this disconnect between like yeah i can see something in my head and i could see whatever but to translate that to paper i feel like i've just not done it enough or practiced or thought about that enough to actually do it yeah i'm a big fan of all styles of art i think i was just really drawn to like a bit more of the emotional pull that i felt when i saw more purely abstract works 
and studying art history and stuff. And like, like I said, like learning the meanings behind those and the evolution of how things got to pure abstraction was like really exciting for me. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I think there's also parallels between that, like in bike riding too. Like I kind of compare this as like, you know, there's, there's certain things that are like very straightforward, much like a, like a realist painting that like people grasp and gravitate towards like super high level technical park riding tricks. Like, Weird. you know what I mean? Like, like backflips and tail whips and all these like really great things. And then if you look at someone who's like, like a fast and loose rider who does these like really interesting kind of non-traditional style tricks of like these like bike movements and body positions and like the way that you're like approaching it. And then on the obstacle, like the conversation about that leans a little bit more towards like how abstract paintings and abstract design is talked about. Jackson so, Pollock. Like, absolutely it's just a, it's a different kind of conversation the setting that it's in um i don't know i try to find comparisons like that with bike riding and in art too well you just made me realize the comparison between the style of art i do and the riding that i do and that it's not yeah. it's not been up until recently it has not been about the the way i'm doing the trick as much as it was just accomplishing the trick, you know, like with a lip trick where I'm trying to do a, a five tap to ice to tap to whatever, to whatever. It's like straightforward, do it until I get the trick done and I land everything in it that I want to. Yep. And it's like not two hops in the five tap, you know, it's up to yeah. my standards, which is exactly the same as a drawing that I'm doing because I'm just draw, I'm putting the pencil on the paper and they're fixing it and doing whatever I need to do and attempting and attempting and just working on it until it's exactly like the original. So it's like my writing and my style of drawing and I mean, painting too, when I did it was all exactly the same pretty much. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you could, you could, like I said, there's so many parallels between like our bike riding and visual arts. I get like asked like, when I'm in the, the art business world stuff and I'm doing any sort of like meetings or like interviews and stuff too, I ask a lot, like, how did you get into like art and stuff? And the first thing I always tell people was that like, I want to tell them the story about like how before anything and more than anything else, like I'm a BMX rider, like that's my life, that's my lifestyle. And I always explained to them that that was like my first form of creative expression, being involved and being indulged in like a freestyle lifestyle and a freestyle sport like directly influences so much of like where I've come to now, like really tapping into like my visual art side and things like that. So there's, there's tons of parallels. Once you just start thinking in that way, you're like, Oh wow. Like I never thought of it this way. And then it just starts. Yeah. Little things like kind of fun. This is therapy right now. You're making me make all these connections. Like, damn, it's crazy. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to wake up tomorrow and there's going to be like drawings all over my wall. Like, like Connecting lines and like hieroglyphics all over, and, you're like, ah. and there's just thumbtacks in the wall and yarn connecting all these yarn things, connecting all the dots, <laughs> like a picture of your bike and all these things. You're like, wait, Parker can't was leave right. house. You're like, I don't know. Parker was right. It all connects. Yeah, I feel like it was some kind of crazy movie, but that man, it all makes sense though. It's something I've never thought about in that way, and it's kind of cool that you have made the realization for that. I feel like it only makes it easier to take it further. Yeah, I'm trying to. Um, and that's, that's where like 
like even in this last video part, the way I was approaching and thinking more about tricks and like how the tricks involve with like the spot and stuff. Like for me personally, I was thinking of it like with a different perspective than I traditionally have because I had just been so involved with the visual arts stuff and, and being an artist and having a business. It just really shaped my perspective on things and then your perspective shapes how you do things in life and like writing is one of those. So yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. And I hope that anybody who hears all this can take some kind of inspiration from just like maybe realizing too, that you don't have to have the typical path in life. I mean, yeah, you literally sell blankets with your art on them. And I know bad. I've never a blanket salesman. Like it's like, <laughs> it's, a non, it's a nonlinear path. Like it doesn't mean that you still can't do other stuff. You can do multiple things. Like I still ride BMX. I still do the modeling stuff occasionally. And even when I do the modeling stuff, doesn't mean I stopped BMX riding. Like if, if I want to paint, maybe I can still do ceramics. Like if I want to ride street, you can still ride bowls. You can still do lift tricks on course. You can do whatever you want. Like there's, you don't have to be bound by doing just one thing, but I think that's a pressure from a lot of just society in general. Like when you pull back for a minute, you think about like just human development and stuff like oftentimes we feel this pressure that we're supposed to be doing kind of one or two things, but you don't have to (laughs) two, two things that I just thought of. Holy hell. Okay. So first rugs, if you haven't thought about rugs, like like making rugs. Yes. With your art. Oh yeah. I know. I'm, I'm already in the process of trying to do it. I want one so bad. They're just so freaking expensive to make. It's hard. Well, I mean, as soon as you find somebody who's like, hmm, I think that would look great in my living room. You're like, okay, I'll make you a rug. I know. So many people think the blankets, like, are rugs. And, like, in theory, to each their own, like, you could could use it as a rug if you had, like, a Velcro pad or if it was in a certain area. But, yeah, to make, like, a proper rug, like, that's, like, a carpet, like, kind of cushion, like, would be so sick. Um, I'm trying to – I'm trying. I'm working on it. It's a slow slow moving process. Okay. Well, I definitely could see that being like a successful thing once you move into that, where you're like, you're taking blankets and rugs. Uh, yeah. Next thing, the, uh, what is that app called that people use to track their riding, like in, on a road bike? There's, oh, Strava. Use Strava at a skate park and f- capture your lines Ooh. for a day and then turn that into a design. That's a, a great idea. That's a really great idea, actually. Boom. That is so cool. Yeah, that would be a really cool piece for something like a gallery even. You know what I mean? Like something that has like a lot of like uh, kind of interpersonal depth behind it all. And like the design elements obviously would be really cool. You could like do the shape of like the skate park from a bird's eye view and then interlace like that like intricate like line work above it and stuff like that. And then like tell the story of like the process and then like the individual. That's good. I'm going to give you credit for that one. Don't you worry. I'm going to work on that. I'm an artist too. (laughs) there you go i like it but i could just see that in my head being like on the like the rug that's behind you where even if you didn't or even if you did have the the skate park design as like the lighter uh beige color whatever that is behind you but even if you didn't have that and you just took like two or three laps around claremont with that app going and then you just take a look at what that design looks like you'll be able to refine it for sure. And that could even become a series where it's like this Claremont park, OB. Oh my God. I just, dude, there you go. <laughs> That's a really good idea. Actually, I'm going to like, 
really try to think of that because that's that's something so simple I could do. Like, yeah, I could figure out the app and I like put it on my phone and put my phone in my pocket, go do a couple laps and just like check them out later and just like fly, like flip through like the different ones. Yep. And then use that to like influence the work and then put that amongst like the little blurb or the artist statement when you're presenting the work. That's a great idea. See, I can't do that for my own stuff, but I can do that for somebody else. <laughs> I'm going to hire you as my, my art agent and my, uh, my project manager. I need to come to California anyway, so let's do it. I know. Are you planning to come out? Have you, have you been out here before? Yeah, I went to Long Beach for a week one time. Uh, we got some, I think maybe in a couple months, I might come out and like hang out at the building and do some videos there and stuff with S&M and Fit. It's not 100% sure exactly when yet, but I haven't been to San Diego and I really want to get that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's not that far from Long Beach in Santa Ana, the whole Orange County area. It's um, about hour and a half, maybe two hours. And once you're down here, there's so much to do and you can stick around San Diego for sure. Um, you'd love it down here for sure. Oh yeah. I just, I really want to ride OB. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm sure you'd love OB. OB's awesome. Obi is one of those parks that's like it's a old it's one of the older parks in San Diego and like everyone's probably ridden it like a hundred million times and it's just one of those things we have to find like little like nooks and crannies here of like how do I go off this like slightly different or like how do I do this just a little bit different and you find like little things that get you excited and stuff like that it'll go in waves I'll be like really kind of burnt out on Obi, but then I'll have like I said I'll find something slightly new or something that I'm working on and like it's really really grippy concrete too most people don't know that it's super grippy concrete so like you can do things there that like you could only do an ob like that you couldn't do at a concrete skate park like the even like where the little bowl corner is you can like drop in it and drop back out of it like it's a little curved wall ride almost yeah like really harsh turns where you change in direction yeah. quickly yeah that's, it, that's what it opens up lines that you would never think of like Chris Fox and like the fast and loose style. Like they love that because like you can like really make this turn and hit this one and like link things together that like you wouldn't be able to do other where other places because it's so slippery. Yeah. And honestly, I've just seen pictures of and video of Chad roasting the hips oh. and I'm like, dude, I want to blast that hip as high as I can possibly go. Is that four feet? Um, four or five. They're like five. Five is that thing, perfect. That thing is than five for sure. I know. Dude, five foot hip to just go as high as you can possibly go. Yeah, you're probably talking about the one that has. It's like kind of a rounded hip, and then there's like an angled one on the other side. Like you, you could like rip across the park and just blast that thing. It's like so big. And Chad, especially Chad, is the king of OB. Yeah. That's his home court. <laughs> I, would, I would love to ride that park with you and Chad and like Dennis and just whoever would want to come out because. I just, I don't know. I've always wanted to blast that hip, and that park just looks fun. Yeah, you would love it. OB is a classic. Everyone's got to go to OB. It's like if you go to Austin, you got to go to House Park. You know, yeah. there's probably other cities that have, like, you go to Ohio, you got to go to Ray's. Like, it's a rite of passage. For real. Yeah. Go eat a burrito. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the modeling side of things. Yeah. How does that actually work? How does somebody even get into that world? That's a good question. Um, the best way to answer that would probably just be telling like how I got into it, I guess. Yeah. So 
Um, I actually got into it. It all really actually relates back to demolition in a way, which is weird. This Brian Castillo has an old BMX buddy who ended up working and transferring over into like the Hollywood business and was like a TV and like film producer. And this was back in 2018, maybe. And they were like, oh, we have like this, like, uh, this little music video that will pay you like a couple hundred bucks to be in. And like, they need a BMX rider. So I was like, oh sure. Like that sounds fun. So like I go up there and I do the music video and like I get paid a few hundred bucks. I'm like, this is awesome. I'm riding my bike. And we had to do a little bit of like <clears throat> kind of acting modeling type stuff, like off the bike, like li- more like lifestyle stuff. Okay. And doing that. And then also just seeing the whole production aspect of it, even though it was such a small production and just feeling like the energy and like the excitement and like this visualization stuff. Um, and then I also coupled with like, talking with the main producer dude and he was just like super hyped up and it was he was an, a bmx his name is john pc he actually rode for hoffman and he's good friends with matt hoffman back in the day and he was just super encouraging he's like dude like you could get into like this world like everyone there's so many people needing a bmxer and they're always looking for different types of looks and you have a very unique look like you should look into it so i was like okay like that's really cool that's getting my wheels turning then also simultaneously i was uh, in the beginning of community college and taking like photography classes and like really understanding photography and stuff like that, understanding like the subjects and stuff in people in photography. So I was like, you know, maybe like this could be cool. Like, why don't I try like being in front of the camera more and like just trying to kind of get into it. And I started like following more fashion stuff and following more models and just kind of like, I started taking a liking to it. And then I was like, like, screw it. Like, why not go for it? If anything, it's just going to make for like really fun kind of unique spontaneous like memories in life like if i'm able to like make some money on the side like that's an added bonus so then from there i started doing my research i started like getting some more headshots and trying to gather more photos and stuff and thankfully i was studying photography so i was able to like get by with like shooting my own photos or having people help me and stuff and get like a little bit of a portfolio together and then I just started applying to agencies in locally in San Diego, Orange County, LA. And then I started, I signed with one small agency in, in San Diego. And then from there, I started just learning more about the biz and uh, booked my first couple jobs. And yeah, it just, it just like slowly started to turn. But initially, that's how I got into it was from like doing a BMX commercial or like a music video. Sounds like basically any other thing that people get into in life it's just you, yeah. you find your way into the foot into the door and then figure it out it, but that was like another one of those things too it was like i had to i had to go like do the work to go figure it out and like figure out how i was going to like after it you know what i mean and bmx is the same way too it's like or art and stuff like that too it's like well i'm not just gonna like wait around for someone to drop like a million dollar deal in front of me like I'm going to go out to all the jams that I can. I'm going to try to save up some money to go to a contest and do good at the contest, try to get a video out there. Like I'm going to try to do things to get myself out there. And like the modeling thing is the same thing or the art thing. Like you're trying to like climb the ladder and like get yourself out there. And just along the way, you're learning so much about how the biz works or how that industry works. And you start to like kind of formulate your own way of like what you want out of it and like where you want to go. So that was like kind of how I got started with all of it. Um, and since then it's been, it's been fun. It's been up and down. It's very inconsistent. A lot of people think I'm like this crazy full-time model and, uh, 
I'm like super rich or something like that, but that's not the case whatsoever. <laughs> it is, you know, it's, that's the illusion of social media nowadays. You know, people think just because you post something on Instagram that like you're doing all these great things and da 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 da, but like nobody really knows like actually like you're what, like what's going on. Like, yeah, so nobody knows that Parker's actually rich from selling blankets. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but I, I still really love the modeling stuff. I think it's super cool looking up to like other BMXers who've like made it big in that, like Nigel or Austin Augie and stuff. And they've really like instilled themselves kind of in the fashion world is something that I'm still like striving towards and like trying to like get more involvement with. Um, it's just been like pretty slow the last year. Um, I was able to get like some fun stuff like pop up here and there. But I'm I'm in I'm in the the West Coast and LA is like the major market and LA is a very commercial market and that being coupled with like I have a very commercial look that like I end up getting like a lot of jobs that are I either will book jobs or I get even pitched and get like optioned for jobs that are uh, just very commercial like leaning like Target and like Samsung and like Nickelodeon and like my first job ever was for Disney you know like very commercial style stuff, which is awesome. And like, that's really cool. But I think like I have like a little bit more like passion and interest for some more of like the creative kind of more artsy, like more like fashion E type stuff. Um, just cause I've always been more of a fan of that. Hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. So, so you're talking about target and Nickelodeon and Disney. What is it just like you wearing certain clothes? Or what, what is the product that they're getting using you? Um, so, like, oftentimes it all boils down to, like, the marketing efforts of that company. So, like, a company will have, like, a set budget and they want to do a marketing campaign for this upcoming quarter or whatever. And they're advertising us. Maybe it's a new product or a new line of something or just general advertisement. So then the marketing department will hire an advertising agency An advertising agency will hire a production company and a production company will create the whole idea of, uh, like what it is that they're going to pitch to the client. And there's different assets among that, that mm -hmm. are creating the whole creative idea behind like what it is they're going to promote. And so they need like people to wear the clothing, but then like those types of people need to like kind of evoke this certain sort of, uh, vibe and feel or whatever it is that they're trying to do in their marketing efforts. So then that's where like, that's, that's where there's like so much out of your control as a model. Like you really just kind of sit and wait around for like it to come in because it's like you are either a fit or you're not. And that's something like super early on getting into like the modeling stuff. You have to learn how to take rejection like very quickly and like a lot because you're going to get turned down like constantly. You're going to get excited. You're going to get Oh, you're like in consideration for this one thing and you're like, what? No way. And then like, you just never hear anything. And then you're like, why? And like, why? Like, why didn't they pick me? And there's no rhyme or reason to it. It's, it's whether or not like your look fits down to like what the client is looking for. Now to, you know, that's arguable, you know, there's all sorts of political stuff in every industry and like why certain people get picked for this or that, or invited to this or that. Like, it's like, it doesn't, it, I, there's no rhyme or reason, but in the grand, in the, the gist of things, that's kind of how it works. So they'll they'll pick the models, and yeah, you, sometimes you're promoting a product in your hands, or you're wearing clothing, or you're doing a video shoot or a photo shoot, and you're you're doing whatever it is that they want to promote. 
It's like being an actor without talking or acting, yeah. like doing the, I mean, if it's video, you'd be moving, but okay. That's interesting. Acting is more like, you have to like interpret a script, you know what yeah. I mean? Like there's a script and then that's where like the real artist and craftsman side of things for actors comes into play because each actor can interpret uh, a script. Now models too, I mean, there's a craft to it also. I mean like, the way that you're like understand like how you're like promoting this product or what it is that you're selling like that plays a part into it too acting is just a few extra steps that are a bit more involved mm -hmm. modeling is a bit more simple at yeah. times um so Makes yeah sense. huh that's interesting i just always wondered how that world yeah. worked and never actually knew or had the opportunity to ask somebody yeah, there's there's a lot of avenues for BMXers to get in. Like that's how I kind of got my foot in the door. Like I think every BMXer should look into like signing up with a commercial agency because there's so many commercials that literally they will hire you to do just what you do. Like literally just need a guy jumping off a bench or jumping over a car or something. Yeah. And find yourself in like really cool, fun situations. People may get like freaked out that they're like, Oh, I'm going to do modeling and I'm going to do like this stuff. That's like, makes me uncomfortable. Well, like you don't have to do anything that like, it's all up to your own discretion, like what you want to do. And it's just another kind of fun way to like do fun, exciting stuff and like make money. It's like, why not? <laughs> so I was going to say, you can, you can, you could do that and say no, and then go to work on Monday. Like, <laughs> or you can say yes and then go ride your bike on Monday. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And a lot of them, they're, they're really fun. Like, it's just fun and cool to be a part of. I think, yeah, people, a lot of times they just don't get it. They don't understand like how it all works, but it's much simpler than people think. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things. It sounds just like any other avenue in life. You just figure out the pathway that's involved and then learn, like feel your way through it and do what you seems like you need to do. Yeah, absolutely. It's just that's everything. You just literally, yeah. if you want to do something and you really want to do it, just dive in head first and don't take no for an answer. Just keep going and keep attempt. Just like riding, you know, it's just like a trick. You may not know how to tail whip at first, and somebody might be there to kind of explain it. But if you just dive in head first and start kicking it, you're gonna slowly figure it out. And it's no different than art or modeling or video or anything in the world yeah absolutely yeah you just you got to figure out that's a part of like just trial and error and failure and stuff like that like you're just figuring stuff out and yeah you just got to keep trying that's so interesting so that's where i'm at like with the modeling stuff lately i've been like in such a slow kind of lull but like i said i'm juggling like figuring out the art business stuff and the bmx thing and everything it's like been sometimes things take like a little bit of backseat but then they, they're able to like come back up again as long as you just remember that like that you're gonna like tap back into it again so the modeling stuff has been like pretty slow and i'm trying to do new things over there like maybe with a new agency or something like that to like figure out how i could just be more active but there's also so many other factors that could play into it especially in the commercial modeling side of things like your look can play a huge part into like the reason why you're being booked or not um, or just why certain clients are like leaning towards certain things. So you could change your look, you could do like little things like that, uh, change your portfolio. But a lot of it that I'm learning is this, a lot of it is just out of your control. So, yeah, 
that makes sense. It out. I mean, you're just kind of you have the the people like you said who have what they want in mind, and then they have a billion people who are like, I want to do that, and then they pick yeah. the however many, whether it's one or whatever, that they're able to, and yeah, it makes sense. So yeah, they'll get thousands of people, and then they narrow it down to like five, and then they'll narrow it down to three, and then they finally pick one. It's a crazy process. Yeah. Um, so are you? actively like doing anything as far as like the modeling or bmx side to keep yourself healthy and in shape and stuff yeah um i'm lucky that bmx itself is like very active and that's great um i definitely go to the gym like regularly because like yeah I, for for both modeling and bmx you gotta like kind of keep up on like your look and your physique and things like that like the way your body looks is like your job. So I try to go to the gym regularly and I try to like eat healthy here and there. I don't know. You feel like you learn like what works best for you and like your routine and stuff like that. So I'll try to just like keep up on that. Um, taking care of your skin too. Like I've always been like a big proponent of that also like your face and stuff for the modeling stuff is like very important in your skin. So I'm open about it. Yeah. I, I, I take care of my skin and stuff like that too. And I have like a skin routine and that helps with the modeling side of things and the BMX I just like yeah try to stay going to the gym and stretch regularly and eat healthy in moderation <laughs> drink too much <laughs> even though I do <laughs> that's funny so uh there's one thing that I wondered about it's totally unrelated but it's back to the BMX side of things it's just like with the the way that you approach things and you talked very specifically about like I've try to look at bmx and do things my way what do you have like a process when you show up to a new skate park or a street spot or anything like that where you're like looking at things a certain way or or is it the opposite in that you like have a trick in mind or something and then you find the spot for it or um i feel like in street riding and like what i was doing with the video i feel like traditionally with street riding and filming like street video parts, a lot of the time you want to find like a spot for the trick. Um, you, it's not always just about adapting like the trick to that spot. And so you in primarily you want to find a sick spot for the trick. That's what's make things like the the most ideal. Um, I'm definitely nowhere near like the level of someone like Dak who's like a mastermind at finding like the sickest spots for tricks. But I try to like. Like for, for, I guess the best example I could think of, like in the recent video, like, um, there was like a, I was thinking of how I could implement certain tricks into like spots in a different way. So like the, like a little jib trick I would always do like on a flat rail or like kind of by accident sometimes would be like a toothpick to ice pick on like a flat rail. But then I was like, Oh, that would, that would be so sick to do it. Like on like more of like a legit setup and like down like a big handrail, you know, cause it's kind of more of a jib trick, but now it's in a different setting. So like I was thinking of tricks that way. Um, same thing with like I was learning the one-handed X-up grind, but prior to that I would mess around and I would do like one-handed lander grinds. And uh, so then I was like, oh, like that's kind of a silly like little trick. Oftentimes it doesn't really get taken seriously by everyone. So I was like, why not like try to put it into something that like increases like the the craziness or not craziness. That sounds dumb, but you know, it just increases like it takes it a little bit more seriously. So I was like, oh, I'll try to do like a 
a gap to rail downstairs and like land one handed because like that relates to the one handed XF stuff. So trying to think of things like that lately has been what I've been stoked on. Even like the one handed XF grind, I learned it like on a small little flat ledge, but I'm like, oh, I want to take it to like a spot that like kind of tests it a little bit more. So that down rail with the the kinks in it and stuff. So or not the kinks, but the caps in it. Uh, and then park riding. Yeah, I don't know. That's hard. I'm always trying to like think. I try to like think a little bit more outside of the box. I wouldn't say that's my style of riding at all. That's a huge uh, kind of jump. But um, I don't know. There's like certain things that like I like to like certain tricks and combos that like could work in certain areas and situations that like I really like. I really like more of like a park style bowl or like a parky bowl. So like trying to find like infusing like bowl lines with more of like park elements and stuff like that too. What do you mean by park style bowl? Well then, uh, like if you like something like a bowl, that's like, obviously it's a bowl, it's bowled in, it's all closed in, but then has more like kind of steeper hips. It may even have like a spine or a box jump or like different elements to it rather than just like a plain old bowl. That's like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and then versus like a park setup that's like a feast course where it's like just ramp, like a traditional ramps, you know? Yeah. I so I like a good mix of that. Like think of like the Vans skate park stuff, like uh, the Vans bowl series that they were doing. Like that's a very parky style bowl. Um, so those are my favorite. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Huh. Uh, I don't know if that kind of answered the question in the right does. way. <laughs> it does because I feel like the answer is when you ask all of those different things, like, do you look at things where it's like, do you find the trick for the spot, whatever, whatever the answer is like, yes, because <laughs> it's all of it. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of all of it. Yeah. It, it, it depends. You know what I mean? Like sometimes you have a certain trick that you're like, oh yeah, it would be fun. It'd be sick to find a spot for that trick. Or sometimes like you have a, you just find a sick spot and you're just doing a trick on that. You know, it really, it really can kind of depend. I think it's my favorite though. It's most exciting when you find a sick spot that can lend itself to like doing a trick in a certain way. That's like, whoa, like this is such a perfect spot for this trick. Like it is works perfect. Like that's the best. I think that's what we're always looking for. I think some of the best riders out there are the people who find the trick that works the best on the spot where it's like, that just makes sense. Spot usage. Yep. And I think Dak is, that's the name I was just going to say. That. But I mean, spot can be transcended even into like park riding, like a, a specific spot within the park. Like there's people who who do that stuff like really well too. Like Chris Kyle just came out with that video like today or yesterday or whatever. And like he's another one that's like a park rider, but like comes up with so many really cool ideas. And like it's like the park becomes like a street spot in a way. Like he's really interpreting it differently. So oh, yeah. those are kind of names that come to mind. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's – that makes total sense. Huh. Interesting to pick the brain of just people and way think about and approach riding because I feel like we all think about it a little bit differently. Yeah, 100%. It's so subjective. It's a completely subjective sport and activity. It's freestyle, you know? Yeah, freestyle. Freestyling. Do you, uh, do, you do anything – like, all right, okay, rephrase this. You're busy with your art. You're busy with your modeling. You're busy with writing. Is there anything that you do outside of that stuff for, or 
fun? I'm a professional skydiver. No, I'm just kidding. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I don't. No, I have. No, I don't need to do anything more. I'm fine with those three things. Those three things are plenty for me right now. Um, so I, yeah, my life definitely consists of the balance between those three things. You know, I don't really do much else. I mean, besides like being a normal human and like socializing and like, you know, whatever. But in terms of like careers, if you will, or activities and stuff like that, like that's kind of like the three things that I mainly focus in. If I did more than that, I don't know how I'd pull that off. That's a lot. Yeah. It, we only get one life and it's hard. It sucks sometimes whenever you feel so busy with everything. Yeah. I thought about wanting to get more into like acting and stuff, maybe taking acting classes or something. But then I'm like, oh, that's just let's just add on a fourth thing. Like, let's just tack that onto it. You know, it's like, oh, I don't know if I want to go down that rabbit hole yet. But yeah, and acting, I feel like probably takes way more time than modeling or. Oh, yeah, 100 percent is that is like you have to be so indulged in it and like really practice a lot. Yeah, it, I, it's one of those things. And there's a lot of those things in our lives that we can only really pick one thing to hyper focus on and try and take as far as it can possibly go. Like for you, you're lucky enough that you can do it with both art a little bit and BMX. And, and I try to do it with a bunch of different things too. But, and if you want to be the best of the best at anything that just, I mean, we see that with like Olympic athletes in other sports and, all kinds of stuff like that, MMA fighting and, and whatever. Yeah. It's like that is that person's entire life. They do nothing else. Yeah, 100%. And I want to – I think now like where I'm at right now is like BMX is so short-lived in terms of like being like a pro rider like in the reality of – I mean it's getting better like nowadays but the reality of it like no matter what, like your body physically like can't keep up with it. So it's like all these other things that I'm doing, even the modeling stuff like that has like longevity to it. Like that will always be there in art business, obviously like that has way more longevity to it. So like, that's where I'm at now. It's like, I really want to like tap more back into like making BMX a priority and like really just enjoying being pro and like doing the whole damn thing and just like continue doing that because like, that's not going to last forever. I'm just been developing things the last few years to kind of get my footing and get a foundation and try to find a way that it's like understanding it, but then really kind of, uh, capitalizing more on the BMX stuff and getting more in tune with that has been my goal for this coming year and next year for sure. So any cool stuff that you can talk about already that you kind of want to do or have planned at all? Um, well, we're going to be coming out with some cool, we're going to try to start working on some cool signature stuff with demolition. Um, not so we're, we might try to we were talking about like developing like a new soft goods line with some stuff that is like a little like untraditional because um, they haven't done that in a while. Parts wise, that probably won't happen until next year just because the way things happen with like like the turnaround times and right. stuff like that. So that's something that like I want to definitely develop more of. And then this summer trying to figure out more of like my, my BMX schedule. I might be going out to Salt Lake city in June for the USA BMX freestyle contest. Um, just cause I've always wanted to really ride that Vans park. And then my friend and teammate with GT Tristan Cooper, he lives out there too. 
and it'd be really fun just to come out and like visit him and like ride Salt Lake. Nice. But then they're also doing the Rumble in Richmond that same weekend, and I'm like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to swing it, but we'll figure it out. And then later in the year, I'm definitely going to try to go out to Simple Session and perhaps Battle Hastings. I've never been to Battle Hastings, but uh, Simple Session would happen for sure. That's pretty much what I got going on, like BMX-wise, like events and stuff like that that I want to go to. I don't know when I'm going to start filming my next video. I kind of have been like slowly chipping away at stuff with Jeff Z for something for GT, but we haven't really like initiated like, okay, we're going to like, this is now a project and we're going to like work towards it. Kind of want to chill for a little bit and just like, I need to develop my, my riding a little bit more and find more spots and stuff like that and just kind of chill. There's no rush to get into the next one. Regroup and focus in and figure out what you want to do. Yeah, exactly. The talking about signature parts and stuff made me wonder, is there any, thing about your bike or the way you set it up that is super particular unique to you yeah my seat height for sure like it i feel like if you, it probably looks proportional to me because i'm really tall but like most people who like sit on my bike my seat looks super high um but that i love having a high seat i think it looks super sick and for like 90 percent of my tricks i need to have like my seat high like I cannot throw a bar spin if my seat is low and then like suicides, one handed X ups, even like I do like cannonballs and Indian airs. Like I love having the seat at like that certain height. It's just so much better for like those grabbing tricks. Um, so my seat is very particular, um, tire pressure for sure. I change my tire pressure so much depending on what I'm riding. Really? Like if I'm riding street, if I'm riding street and my tires are like at 80, I'm just like, dude, it's just, this sucks. Like I hate this. Like this is not fun. And then, like, vice versa, if I'm riding a skate park and my tires are at, like, 45, 50, I'm like, this sucks. It's so squishy. So I'll fluctuate, like, religiously. And I'll, I keep a pump in my truck, and, like, I'm always, like, wherever I'll go, I'll pump my tires up or deflate them. Street riding, for sure, 110%. I think lower pressure helps so much, even for manuals when you're balancing, bunny hopping, all sorts of stuff like that. And then park riding, obviously, having high pressure most people know that like that really helps because like you'll drop in and like if you're at 80 PSI, like it's a game changer compared to if you're at like 60. So, Oh yeah. And if you're flying around a bowl corner at 55, 60, you're feeling your tire side balls folding and that it's not, it's, so sketchy. it's not only sketchy, but it just feels gross. Yeah. Yeah. No one likes that. My bars too, I'm tall, so like I have to have, I run like 10 inch bars and they're like kind of a little Chicago forward. People say that they're like pretty forward. I don't really think they're that bad, but they are a little bit forward. Hmm. Um, I'm gonna have to take a look at your bike because I ride mine a little forward too and everybody's like, what? And I'm like, Dude, it's not even that far. It's not even that bad. And it, I, yeah, I don't, some people do that on purpose because of like the whole like leverage thing. I've never like really nerded out about that. I just have them the way they are. That feels comfortable. Same here. So exactly. and then I cut my bars down too. I cut them down to 27 inches. So they're really high and really narrow, which I think is great for X ups and bar spins and all that. Nice. So I've been meaning to bring this up and I just keep forgetting what makes you want to do a faking nothing in the streets? That is so crazy. And you did it all the way out. Like, 
I saw that clip and that was one that just blew my mind. <laughs> Thanks. That is uh, one of my favorite moves for sure. I love doing nothings. I don't know. That was like one of the earlier tricks I learned when I was younger. Um, and I'm always trying to get people to learn them because they're so, I don't know if you've ever tried one. They're so much easier than people think. You could do like a little fly out one. You can't, you've never done one? Right, man. I just can't. If you just do like a little no footer and you just like just float your hands off a little bit, like the bike just stays there. You just gotta trust it, and it's so fun. I'll do a no footed one hander, no footed tire grabs all day long, but I will. I just can't make my bike stay in one spot if I take the hands (laughs) off. Yeah, and that's like another thing too. Like I've always been up, up, like excited about kind of putting tricks in like unconventional areas. So like. The, the nothings in street, you know, and then now like trying to do them in fakies or like link them up with stuff, even the X up grind and nothing. Like I feel like nothings. And then now X up grinds are like something that I've always been like, I've always felt really comfortable and been pretty confident about them. So I've been like super stoked to try like, uh, like just put them in like kind of unconventional areas. Um, yeah, the, the fakie ones are cool. Those are fun. Do you have a coaster? I assume. Yeah, I got a coaster. I would wonder how that would. I don't know if I could do that with a, a cassette. I mean, it's possible, obviously, but I just don't know if I could do it. But timing that up while content, like, and then landing fakey again, that'd be nuts. Yeah, I feel like I would like spin, and then I would like let go, and my cranks would just keep going. <laughs> just everything would spin around. Crank flip nothing. It's all Crank flip nothing. <laughs> I think. Um, I think Justin Spree can do that. I know Albert can do that. I've seen him do a crank flip nothing. I have sick. a really crappy one, a fakey one, like fakey up a bank filmed. See, I oh, yeah. this is how my brain works, dude. I did a crank flip nothing, but I can't do a fly out nothing. What? See, but you know, like sometimes, like you said, it works, it works that way for people. Like the, it may not make sense, but sometimes it just like doing things this way makes sense. Like I learned flares before i learned backflips and like everyone's like that's so backwards like i don't do flares anymore but i learned you know things backward i learned tail whips before bar spins and usually i think people do it the other way around but i would say so and yeah what else what else you got that because flares before backflips just doesn't make any sense (laughs) that doesn't make any sense for sure well i learned that because i was getting really into like doing dip threes over the box jump at claremont and then I learned how to do a three to fakie and I was like, oh, I could do like just a sick like dip three to fakie. And then I like flipped all the way around. I was like, oh, I did a flare. I like put my foot down and I literally could just do flares and like put my foot down against the quarter over and over and over until I finally like learned to commit to one. And yeah. Are you sitting I, here like, telling me that you learned flares on accident? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> That's insane. Yeah. Just doing three to fakies, and I'm like, I'm gonna dip, I'm gonna dip it like it's a box jump quarter, a uh, box jump 360, and then I was doing it on the quarter, and then that's literally how I taught my friends how to flare, and then now I can't flare anymore. I can only 540. So, fives are sick too, man. I was like so back and forth. I could like only do one or the other, and I was like, oh, I really want to do 540s. And then I, it would fuck up my flares, and I would do flares, it'd fuck up my fives. And then I, my flares, I'd come in, and I would come in so shitty, I would just, like, break spokes all the time. I just got so exhausted from changing spokes and breaking my wheels. 
I'm like, dude, I just, I'm not getting better at these. I got to just stop doing them. So I traded them for 540s, but now I love me a good 540. So it's I'll a take good it. trick. It's a really good trick. It sucks to do them until you can do them good out of the, above the coping. Yeah. But it's a good they're trick. It's hard to figure out, but they're like one of those things too. Like if you, uh, start thinking of it more of like a box jump 360 or if you can like 450 a hip it's like the same the same motion yeah that does make sense yeah we'll have to ride a quarter sometime we'll do some 540s you'll teach me some ice picks I can't ice pick a quarter oh you can't will after I'm done <laughs> I can ice pick a sub like quarter to sub and I can ice pick like a little bank to sub but just a straight up ice pick on like a six foot quarter I'm horrible at huh you got plastic pegs? I got plastic pegs. Even with metal pegs, I could never do them. Well, one day we'll session and it'll be sick. I think if I was on like a really steep quarter, I could do it. Because it's metal basically quarter. a sub at that point. Yeah. I mean, you treat it like a sub. You just jump from midway up the quarter, land on it like a sub, and then hop in. Yeah. Huh. Well, Parker, we just did two hours and my notes are all run out. But I've been wondering too this whole time. Do you ride for anybody else besides Demolition and GT? Um, I get flowed by Etnies. Nice. Shout out to Etnies. They're awesome. And I've also been flowed and hooked up for years by Cali Protectives, uh, the helmet company. Um, so, yeah, I ride a full face in the park and I wear a uh, half shell in the street. And they make the best, lightest helmets, especially for full face. People are like blown away when I when I give them my helmet and they pick up how light it is because it's more of like a downhill style helmet, and it's like very slim and like kind of just like like low profile, and I like that. So, yeah, shout out to Cali, shout out to Demolition GT at knees. I have another question because I yes. feel like it's an important one. Are you like an advocate for wearing helmets? Or is it just kind of something that you've always done? I would I would consider myself, yeah, an advocate for wearing helmets because I don't ride without a helmet, even if it's a half shell or whatever. Like, you'll probably never see footage of me riding, like, real footage of me, like, riding without a helmet. Um, the way that, I guess, just fell into play was when I started racing. I was a little kid and I wore a full face. And then when I wanted to get into freestyle, I was insanely obsessed with Matt Hoffman, Kevin Robinson, and Dave Mira, and all those dudes had a full face with no visor, and I was like, those dudes are so sick. I want that. Like, I don't care what anyone thinks. So I wore a full face from the very beginning, and obviously my parents liked it too because it's like safer, but I didn't, I didn't care. I really liked it because I thought it looked sick, and I was like, this is cool, and it just kind of like it stuck with me even when as I grew older, and like I just didn't really care. I just was like, this is just kind of my thing. And then, like, I switched more to, like, the regular full face, and I got, like, the slimmer ones from Cali when I was really young. And then from there, it just kind of, like, just kind of became my thing, I think, and it just kind of, like, stuck with me as my style. And then, obviously, as I was growing older and pursuing BMX and stuff, I also wanted it because I'm, like, it makes me stand out. It makes me, like, it, it is more of my signature thing. And then I was, like, yeah, I could just wear a half shell in the streets, and, like, I've always found that balance. And uh, it's safe, too, so you can't go wrong with that. Absolutely agreed on that. On that note, uh, where can people find if someone sees this and wants to buy a blanket or a pair of socks or whatever, where do they find it? So the best place you could see all my stuff 
is probably my Instagram, which is at Parker Made, like Parker, like my name, and then M-A-D-E underscore Parker Made. And from there, there's a link in my bio, um, or you could shop directly on Instagram. Um, I have my website, which is parkermadeshop.com, and that has everything on there. Boom. Got, I'm pulling up the uh, Instagram now. Parker Made. Thanks for looking that for me, dude. I appreciate that. Hell yeah. I'm going to figure out when I can buy one of these blankets and I'm going to buy one. Right now, I'll, I'll, I'll hook you up. I got you. Well, I've, I've literally just moved into a house and I'm like, I don't care about putting stuff on the wall or anything like that. And then I see these and I'm like, yo, I want to do that. <laughs> Heck yeah. So there's the website. There's the link, and there's the Instagram, everybody. Also, uh, what about your personal? And how do people find yeah. you if, if they want to see your videos and things? Yeah, definitely. It, my my BMX Instagram uh, is just my name, at Parker Heath. Heath, like the candy bar, H-E-A-T-H, -H, uh, at Parker Heath underscore. That's where I'm posting all my riding clips, the occasional modeling photo here and there, and all my BMX stuff that I'm up to, traveling, video parts, photo stuff. Like, yeah, Instagram is everything. Hell yeah. I'm just clicking through yeah. some of this stuff on here. So good, man. Well, hey, I appreciate you doing this. This was really sick. Yeah. I, I had no yeah, idea stuck. about all this art stuff. And all these business things we would end up talking about. And I, that's the kind of stuff I love talking about because we're not like, I keep saying this lately, but I'm going to say it until it's ingrained into people. It's like, we are not just trick machines for Instagram. We're people. Yeah. There's more depth to BMX riders than just posting clips on the internet. Yeah. And you can't, you can't ride your bike for eight hours a day. I mean, you can try it, but you, 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 there's a lot of hours in the day where, you know, it doesn't have to just be all BMX bikes and physically you can't ride eight hours a day every single day. So if you can, I'd love to meet you because you're super strong, but, um, <laughs> other stuff that you can do. And like, that's how a lot of us riders are. And a lot of the time we see like things only through the lens of Instagram and you, it's cool to be able to like share that there's like other stuff that we're interested in and how there's parallels between the two. So yeah, it's cool. It's cool to do stuff like this and talk about it. Hell yeah. So oh. everybody check out Parker. Parker, tell Brian to finally set a date with me for the podcast. Okay. <laughs> Castillo, because he keeps ducking me and <laughs> Heck yeah, I'll I'll definitely try and bug him. <laughs> Go buy a blanket, everybody.